Hi, everybody. This is Joel Junker, and this is the Cameron Brooks Podcast. The goal of our podcast here is to draw out from uh, successful business people their lessons learned, their best practices, and share those with uh, our listeners. So Cameron Brooks, we're a uh, junior military officer recruiting uh, firm. We've been doing this for almost 50 years, and we have relationships with thousands of successful business professionals. And even though they have military experience and they've gone out into the business world, this podcast will serve anybody that's looking to better themselves both personally and professionally. And in today's episode, uh, I interview a Cameron Brooks alumnus, Brad Canterbury, who is a supplier technology manager at United Technologies. United Technologies is a Fortune 500 company um, that owns or has uh, subsidiary companies of Carrier Corporation and Otis Elevators. Uh, Brad is a Naval Academy graduate, spent six years in the Marine Corps uh, before he made the transition to, to business. Um, I've known Brad uh, for about the last six years myself, two or three years before he got out and the three years that he's been working in, in business. Um, and in this episode, well, Brad only has three years of experience. I feel like he shares a lot of great information uh, and advice on how important it is to communicate or actually over-communicate with your boss, the importance in starting out your career in finding mentors and how to ask somebody to be a mentor and then how to manage that relationship, and why it's important for you to take the initiative to take control of your career. And then finally, Brad will share with you some of his uh, tips and advice on how he interviews people to ensure he gets the right people within his organization. For more information about Cameron Brooks and what we do, you can visit us at our website, uh, www.cameron-brooks.com. You can sign up for career tips, subscribe to our blog there. And if you're a military officer considering a transition from the military to business, I encourage you to sign up for uh, newsletters, access our learning library, get a copy of PCS to Corporate America by Roger Cameron, Chuck Alvarez, and, and me. Uh, a great book and that outlines uh, some common steps in making that transition to business. So thanks for being with us. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, everybody, today I have uh, uh, Brad Canterbury, Cameron Brooks alumnus that uh, uh, made a transition uh, several years ago out of the Marine Corps and into a logistics position in business and continues in his logistics career field. And Brad uh, left the, the military back in uh, uh, late spring, early summer 2013, so he's been out there for about three years. So, Brad, thanks for, thanks for being a part of uh, the Cameron Brooks podcast today. No problem, Joel. I'm happy to, happy to help. So, Brad, one of the things I just wanted to maybe just give some background to tell, you know, for the, those listening so they have some context, just talk a little bit about your current role, like what you do, and uh, the company that you work for. And, and I guess I should also just start, you know, in, in Brad and I talked before we started. What we're trying to do here is just, you know, Brad's been out there for three years, and we're going to have a wide variety of people on, the, on these episodes, from people that are about the three years, some people that are retired, people that have been out there 20 years just to draw out some best practices and lessons learned that can be shared to other, uh, ideally, veterans that are working in business or, or those military officers that are thinking about making the transition. So, Brad, give us some context about your career. Yeah, sure. So, I, uh, 
like Joel said, I transitioned about three years ago um, into a logistics role. My, my current position is the supplier performance manager uh, for the southeastern United States for United Technologies. And basically what that means is I lead a team of uh, supplier development engineers um, that are located uh, regionally um, with our supply base. So the business model for United Technologies is they want to source 80% of their uh, of their parts uh, from third-party suppliers. So my team's job is to uh, work with our suppliers to improve their performance and make sure that they are uh, partnering effectively and, and able to to be um, good uh, manufacturing sites for uh, for our business. So it's a it's a leadership role. Um, most of my team is not located with me. I have uh, some team leads that are underneath me uh, that manage um, the engineers as well, but uh, that is that's kind of the the role uh, in a nutshell for me. You know, Brad, one of the things I want to do is I want to come back a little bit later to talk about the supplier and sourcing because it sounds like you're doing some procurement with them. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So we're very closely tied in with the procurement uh, organization. Let's go ahead and just stay on this because I think procurement is, is a misunderstood career field, at least among military officers. And I sometimes wonder, even out with people in business, from the standpoint of procurement being misunderstood, that I think the perception is procurement is about uh, going out and taking a, a ball, bat, or a hammer and beating down a supplier to get to the lowest price. I think a lot of people have, okay, that's what procurement's job is, get the get the lowest price, squeeze the price out of somebody that's supplying this. But really, that's tactical. Tell us about the strategic importance of procurement and how that perception is completely just like false. Yeah, so it's, it is. It's, uh, it is. Right. It, it, you're, you're exactly right. You know, it, there's, there's so much more to procurement uh, than, than what you just described. So for my team, uh, it, it's it's a dual relationship, right? They have to, on one hand, they need to, they need to be able to hold suppliers accountable and make sure that they're um, meeting the requirements that we ask of them. But on the other hand, it's about partnering with them, right? It's about um, understanding their capabilities, what drives them, where they need help. Uh, many times, it is not just the supplier's issue um, the issues are with a large organization like United Technologies, and we need to be able to help them, right? We need to be able to bridge the gap back to our organization. Uh, and, and in my career, um, well, three years, I've had several different roles, uh, and most of the time it's about establishing good relationships with people, uh, and, and I think it's no different in procurement. Um, obviously, in in certain aspects, there's a business model that says, hey, we need to um, try and reduce costs and, and, try and try and source parts at a low price. But there are so many other things that are taken into account, and they have an entire organization um, that has senior level executives uh, that are overseeing su the supplier performance organization that I'm in. So it's a major, major part of uh, the business model for UTAS to be able to establish good relationships with these folks, with people that are on the ground, actually going to be sitting on site with those suppliers. You know, um, you talked about how important it is to build relationships with, with the suppliers. Um, what have you found 
that has worked well? I mean, how, how do you build relationships? What works well? And what mistakes have you seen either that you've made or other people have made in really having to hit a reset on a relationship? Yeah, I, I think, and, and every relationship is different. I, I think that the um, most successful uh, folks that, that are able to build relationships with our third-party suppliers are the ones that will go in and listen. Um, they'll, they'll try and understand how the supplier operates. They'll try and understand what their struggles are, um, both internal to their shop as well as uh, with uh, our organization. So I think it's about listening uh, quite a And then if you can get a quick win for them, you know, many times our suppliers really struggle with United Technologies, uh, whether we're not giving them the proper uh, lead time on orders or uh, whatever it might be. Uh, if we can try and remove some of those roadblocks for them and show them that we're there to help them and help support them uh, and not just there to, to beat them up about, you know, overdue parts, um, it, it really goes a long way in building that relationship. And then the next time we put in, you know, a short lead request, they're, they're much more uh, apt to respond quickly and, and be able to support that. And I know it's cliche, but that's that what, that win win relationship. You you know this is this this is a partnership. This isn't this is they've got to win. They've got to profit on their side as well. They have to and, and they're not going to want to do business with UTC or whatever it may be if they're not winning also. Correct. Correct. And I think Correct. and that's the thing that I think it's really important for people to understand about about. Uh, about procurement, how do you, how did you, what did you learn as a military officer that has helped you be a good relationship builder with suppliers or to manage the, the business with suppliers? So I, I think the ability to work with a lot of different personalities in the military, and I think that from a leadership perspective, I'm able to bring a really different set of skills uh, that a lot of people don't have. Uh, I found myself to be very different uh, from a lot of uh, folks that I've worked with since I've, I've gotten out of the Marine Corps. Um, that's not to say that there aren't uh, people that are like, that are like me um, that are very leadership focused and have a lot of experience in that space, but I, I think that the training that I have, you know, it, I understand how to work with people. I understand how to communicate with people. I understand when to push and when not to. Uh, and, and it's very similar with, with our suppliers. I, I know, you know, when I can get on the phone and just judging by how the conversation goes, because I've had it so many times with people that report to me, I know whether or not I can, I can push the envelope a little bit or I need to hold back and, and really try and um, be a little bit more cognizant of what their situation is and, and, uh, and try and tailor my responses. So I think it's about working with different personalities. And at the end of the day, I'm responsible for their suppliers and, and their performance. So while they don't directly report to me, it's sort of a management role in itself. And so a lot of the leadership training that I've, I've had in my Marine Corps career, as well as the Naval Academy, has has really helped to 
um, bridge the gap there. Um, I'm looking at your your background and your profile that I had access to ahead of time. It, I think this is a, a you, you stood out recently as a top 10% performer and then to a top 5% performer. Um, I'm curious, in your first year in business, what did you do, what did you focus on to establish yourself? Or maybe, maybe there's another way to think about this question. What's the one thing that you would recommend to other people to do, if it's only one thing, to do in their first year, for sure, to allow them to be successful, to establish themselves within a company? Yeah, I think you have to, for me, I needed to understand how my skill set translated to the business world. Um, there were things that I, that translated very well, the leadership piece translated very, very well for me. And I understood how to build a team. Uh, the one thing that my old, the best advice I ever received uh, in my career was 80% of your issues will be solved by simply putting the right people in the right place. And so that would be the number one thing, is making sure that your team is as qualified and talented as you can possibly uh, have. The other thing that I would say is you need to be able to manage through, you know, it's a different, it's a different hierarchy, right? So in the, in the military, for me, it was as long as my boss, as long as the executive officer and the, the commanding officer are happy with my performance, I'm good, right? There's nobody else that can really, really affect my career. Whereas in a, in a, in a corporate environment, there are management teams that are executive teams and, and they generally sit together and they, you know, they review several candidates. And so it's more of a group of folks that are uh, looking at the potential and the performance and, and things like that. And so, networking and being able to um, sell yourself to different folks within the organization is more important uh, in, in a corporate environment than it is in the business world. So did you, did you find people that would mentor you? Did you have formal mentorships or did you have some informal people that you networked with to, to get that guidance from? Yeah, mentor, mentors is the number one thing. Uh, that I learned about. I think I went the first six months and I didn't have a mentor and, and I really struggled to try and find ways. You know, I'm not, I, I don't see myself as kind of the sales guy that, that just loves to reach out to people and, and try and establish relationships um, unless it's, it's kind of work oriented. Uh, but for me, trying to, uh, once I was able to reach out to a mentor, they were able to put me in in uh, conversations with different folks and and really help guide me in that way. Uh, the other thing is, you know, just asking. I asked my boss, you know, what can what projects can I take on? How can I better, um, you know, give get visibility for myself in, in different roles and uh, that'll help me to be successful or give me, um, you know, put people in my corner for for future uh, for future decisions. How did, how did he or she respond to that? Because some people might take a look at that, hey, you're trying to spotlight there, Brad. You know, you're going to your boss. How can I do this so that I get positioned this way? 
vice, and I get this visibility advice, hey, what projects can I take on to, to make the organization better? How did you approach your boss, and how was it received when you, you went about it that way? I think the number one struggle that I see is people owning their career. And I think there's a notion out there for a lot of folks in businesses that things will just kind of work itself out. And you have to you have to really take ownership of your career and be able to um, put yourself out there. I know that I have a skill set a skill set that will provide value to this organization and provide value to different projects. And so it's my responsibility to go to my boss and say, boss, I think I can really provide value here. What do you think? And, and my boss, um, my bosses, I should say, have received it very positively. They have always said, wow, that's a great idea. You know, let me reach out and see uh, if I can get you on here. Because it's twofold. One, I, I want to learn. You know, I've had several different positions now, uh, which have been great. I've been able to learn different sides of, of supply chain, um, which has been really fun for me. And I've also been able to engage in projects that are outside of my comfort zone. Uh, and, and my bosses have always supported that because they see the drive, they see the passion, they see that I'm eager to learn. And that's going to, you know, pay off in the long run for, for the organization if I'm if I'm better informed and more well-rounded. One of the things, I, my perception is, and I've only worked at Cameron Brooks, I have a very small pool. I've, never, I've not worked with other people like you did that were former military plus people that came from MBA schools uh, or grew up within Unilever promoted along the way. Did you see a difference at all between the, the military officers versus the people that weren't in the military in terms of a willingness to go to the to to a supervisor, a boss, and say, I want to do these things, and here's why I want to do these things, and here's why I ask the question. My perception is that I, military officers, well, tons and tons of strengths. I wouldn't be in this business if it wasn't tons of strengths. One of the areas I think that, again, an impression that and I was this way too, to get better is I'm uh, in the military, I didn't go to my boss. I did. I waited to be asked to do this. I knew what my role was. I didn't step outside of that because nah, you didn't know what would happen. And it was, you're kind of crossing a chain of command, those types of things. Did you see some hesitancy in comparison to your peers or is, or yeah, I guess take the question from there. So I'm trying to think back. I, in the first six months since I transitioned, I think I remember I, I was pretty hesitant because, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, Joel. So, so I'm, I'm thinking back, and I remember, you know, there, there are lines of, of hierarchy, right? And you kind of want to don't step outside. You don't want to step outside your box, or at least that's what I thought. And I think I struggled a little bit in the beginning because I didn't want to step on other people's toes because, like you said, the military is very structured and there are very clear lines of where people are supposed to operate and where they're not. 
And what I found in a corporate environment is that lines are much more blurred. Even now, you know, I, I, I've been out for three years and I still hesitate to reach out to, so the Northeast manager, I won't, I, I don't, I hesitate to reach out to his team to say, hey, can you do this, that, and the other thing? And then I go to him afterwards and say, hey, I just want to let you know, uh, this is what I told somebody on your team. And he looks at me like, it's not a big deal. It's our team, you know, not a problem. We can do that. And it's, and it's no big deal. So I think that there's value in understanding that there needs to be clear communication and where, you know, responsibilities lie, which I think I'm a little bit further uh, along than, than others in, in this environment. But uh, there, there are, there's a much more uh, flexible, I should call it, uh, leadership model where, you know, things are kind of blurred. You can, you can kind of jump across a little bit more and not kind of, you know, get in trouble. You know, I've heard from her even from over the years at client companies, they would say, um, let's just use your name for an example. This is, this didn't happen to you. Or was never said to you, about you that somebody I talked to, but they would talk about, oh, Brad is doing really well. You know, one of, and here's the things he's doing great. He's executing on this. He's doing well with this. You know, one of the areas that we would like to see him do better is just communicate up more. You know, he had this issue, and he kind of, and he just kept it. He didn't. He, I wish he would have come talk to us. I wish he would have brought it to our attention earlier. But he held it. and He tried to work it himself. And. I think it goes back to, it's even like in Colin Powell's first book that I read 20 years ago, where you don't want to ever bring a problem to a commander or a boss. And I still believe that you don't want to bring a problem to a commander or a boss without a solution of some sorts. But I've always felt like one of the things that office mil military people could do better, and generally this is, again, this is uh, stereotyping uh, as a group, is that there's less command and control lines and people want to, to, to talk to you. They want to know when something's bothering you. They want to know what the problems are. They want an open line of communication. They want you to bring solutions to them. And I think that's one of the lessons that we could draw out of this, this uh, episode of the podcast. It's one of the things I would encourage people to do. And even me still 17 years in the business, I still need to do better with that when I'm talking to people here at Cameron Brooks, instead of keeping it all to myself, People want to know, and you don't want to drop problems at people's feet, um, but they do want to know what's going on and what you're, what's going on in your world. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think the ability to over-communicate in times of stress or urgent times is, is really important, and that's what my boss asks for. So when we have an urgent issue that comes up, the idea is you need to over over communicate. You need to say you need to give status updates to say that I'm working on. I don't have the answers now. I'm working on it. I'll have an answer back by you know close of business today. Something like that to put people's mind at ease to say okay yes he's working it and he'll get back to that. Um, and then the other aspect that you brought up is people don't yeah right when when my team comes to me with a problem. You know, it can be a frustrating time. It's okay. I, so I understand what the problem is. What is your proposed solution? And part of it is a development opportunity for, for the folks on my team. The other part is, you know, you're the experts in a lot of cases. So, so give me 
what you recommend as a solution. I think that a lot of a lot of people really struggle with going to their bosses. Either they go to their bosses too often with too many problems, or they don't go to their bosses enough um, with the problems that they're having. And then you know it doesn't the wrong thing happens, or the person doesn't have enough time, and and then the boss gets involved, and it's it's usually too late. So. I think it's really, really important to strike a balance in, in communication, especially with your bosses and the folks that are working for you. And if you can do that, you are going to really, you know, set yourself up for success, um, you know, in, in your position. Let's go back to this mentor piece. Um, mine was, and I have to just compare it to my experience. Mine was easy here at Cameron Brooks, Chuck Alvarez. Um, it took me right under his wing 17 years ago. Renee Brooks did the same thing for me. At a larger organization like you're in, you know, Fortune 500 company, I mean, did you just pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, will you be my mentor? I can't imagine it was like that. Or how did that work reaching out and developing that mentor relationship? Again, taking how you did it and giving advice to other people how they could potentially do it in their organization. I, in my first six months, I was put into a leadership program uh, when I transitioned, and so I was assigned a mentor. So that, that was helpful. However, uh, as I progressed and got into different roles and, and things like that and different parts of the supply chain, I needed to uh, re-engage and, and, and get new mentors. And so I was able to establish, um, you know, have a couple of conversations with um, some of the senior vice presidents uh, in the company. One of them had a very similar background to myself. He was a Naval Academy graduate. Uh, he, you know, did six years in the Navy, and you know, we had a lot. We had a lot in common from a resume perspective. And after a couple of months uh, in the new role, I, I just reached out to him and said, "Hey, would you mind being my mentor uh, as I kind of start this this uh, this new this new journey in my career?" And every time I've reached out to a mentor, they have always uh, come back and, and been um, more than happy to, to support and, and try and help. So that has been very positive. But I think asking the question, I think what, what I struggled with or what I, what I was um, hesitant to do was asking the question, are they too busy? You know, they probably don't have time to mentor me. Am I important enough for this person to mentor me? And when I look at myself, so I'm a senior manager at my current role, and people are starting to reach out to me that are, some are entry level, some are, you know, team leads that have several years uh, with the company, and I'm always supportive of other folks and trying to help and develop them, and it's the same way when I reach out to uh, a very senior level executive to, to, to see if they want to mentor me. Uh, and do you... Do you drive that relationship? Do you have like a scheduled meeting? Do you pick up the phone and just have this question out, or do you guys have like lunch uh, once a month? How does that relationship work? My mentor is currently in uh, Chula Vista, California, so lunch would be expensive, but yes, <laughs> and time-consuming. <laughs> it is. I take it upon myself. It's my responsibility to work with his uh, his admin to set up the meetings. Um, I have an agenda that I send to him 
usually three or four days before. So if we have a Wednesday meeting, I send them the agenda by Friday, close a business that says, hi, you know, these are the things that I, these are the talking points I'd like to discuss, you know, wanted to get your thoughts. And then he's able to actually review the information, think about what we're going to talk about, and, and that helps to uh, bring a much more informed discussion uh, when we actually have it. So it is, it is on the mentees, in, in my experience, it is, it is my um, obligation to drive the conversation, make sure that the meetings stay up, provide the talking points, um, et cetera, et cetera, to uh, make sure that that you know, communication keeps going. So we've, uh, in, and I know we've got about 10 minutes and you've got to run off to a meeting here, but you know, from a, pr a professional standpoint, what we've talked about in terms of your career, you know, the importance of men the mentoring relationship and, and stepping out and, and taking control of that and really driving it, and, and that takes initiative. And that you know, it really dovetails. You got to have initiative to, take, to to manage your own career, and then as you talked about, really dispelling many of those myths and procurement and building relationships. Now, what I want to do is just drive into some self-development things uh, from a professional standpoint. Um, and the reason why is, I, I, Brad, because I work closely with you as you were planning and preparing to leave the Marine Corps, and I know how hard you worked um, to do that. What have you done? formally and informally uh, to stay sharp. You got your stuff that you do every day to, to, that you have to do to get done, the tactical. Mentoring would be an example of developing yourself, being mentored. But what, are you, what else do you do to stay on top of your game? I ask for a lot of feedback. I have set up one-to-ones um, with everyone on my team each week and I work with my boss quite a bit. We, her, our offices are right next to one another and I think for me the most helpful thing other than just kind of doing the day-to-day -day, is always stopping and asking for feedback and, and I've always been very receptive to it and you know I, I haven't always gotten it when I first started asking, but if I kept asking over and over again, people expected it. And then every time I received feedback, I thanked them and was very, very um, appreciative of what they sent me. So I think that that's the first thing that, that has really helped me is understand um, what people think, where I can improve. Uh, and, and usually the folks that work around me have, have provided me with very, very good uh, insight. I, I think for me, as part of my development, you know, being a, a dad, so I, I have a one-and-a-half and a two-and-a-half-year-old since I've gotten out, and it's been a great experience for me to be able to learn and, and really kind of open up that side of the, of the world for me. Uh, and, and so I, I think I'm self-aware uh, to be able to know where my, where my strengths and weaknesses are. And I'm just always trying to, to improve on those things. I always have them in the forefront of my brain. Uh, and I usually schedule, the last thing I would say is I usually schedule, you know, 30 to 45 minutes uh, a day where I, I sit and just think about, okay, it's kind of a, a thought process, uh, brainstorming type, um, 
type thing each day where, where I think about, you know, what do I have coming up and what do I need to work on here and, and, and usually those, uh, those little tidbits of time really help to, to keep me on track and, and make sure that I'm going in with the right mindset and things like that. Very good. Two more, two more questions. You actually, I, I want to end these with three questions, but you, you answered one already, and that was the best advice you received, and I thought that was great on 80, getting 80% 80, 80 of the issues solved by getting people in the right places. What's the, what's the since you've made the transition, um, what's one of the, a, a really good book that you've read? And, and, and it, it could be anything from a novel. Uh, to an autobiography, biography, any, like what's a really good book that you have read since you've made the transition? So Joel, I'm going to go back to the, to the 80% um, discussion really quickly and then I'll, then I'll answer your question. The, the importance of surrounding yourself with, with high talent is a, can be a difficult process. There's a lot of people that really struggle with, struggle with it and the interview preparation, I, there were things that I expected to get as I transitioned out uh, of the military, and there are things that I didn't expect, positive and negative. And one of the most positive things I got was I spent thousands of hours interviewing and going through interview preparation and, and learning what to look for and learning what the questions are, and et cetera, et cetera. And, what I didn't realize is how transferable and how important that skill set is for me now. I am able to walk into an interview and know what questions to ask to bring out the information that I'm really looking for. Uh, you know, there are so many people that have a list of questions and the list goes from one to ten and they just pull off the list, one to ten, and at the end, you know, they kind of they make a decision and, and it's the same in the military now. You have, if you make the wrong hire and you have the wrong person in the role, it's 12 to 18 months until you can, you know, either rotate them out or get them trained up or, or whatever it is. And if you make the right hire and you get the right person in the role, so many problems are solved by that. And that is one of the, the number one uh, biggest advantages that, that I have seen um, in my uh, learning, you know, going through the, the Cameron Brooks process. So um, that that is one really important point that I wanted to hit on. Okay, hang uh, on. Before you go to the book, though, let me ask yep. you a question. What, is, what do you think is your most common go-to question? That if you're going to interview with Brad Canterbury, what do you need to be ready for? <laughs> Or are you afraid to give away like the secret sauce? No, 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 no. Um, everyone is different. I, it's it's hard to answer that. I, I, you know, my first question is tell me about yourself so that they can, you know, give me some of their background and and what motivates them. I like to know what their weaknesses are. I, I like to ask them because I want to know if people are self-aware. I, I think yeah. that there's there's an incredible gap so many people that think they are the greatest thing since sliced bread and it's it's exhausting for the manager to have to constantly tell them no you're not the greatest thing and this is what you need to work on as opposed to somebody who's self-aware so I think that the weaknesses uh, but but ultimately what I'm bringing out of people is how self-aware are you 
um, and, and and give me you know give me an understanding of, of how you go about that process. So that that's that's the number one thing for me. My my uh, go-to question that's really irrelevant to what's on the resume to how good the person is that really sets the tone for the interview is what did you do to prepare for today's interview? Yep. And, Absolutely. Uh, it, and to me that tells me what are they going to do to prepare for the week? What are they going to do to prepare for the day? What are they going to do to prepare for a phone call? It's just a tell to, and how important is all this to them? Yeah, and uh, and I don't. And it, for me, it, I don't even care if they ran down the wrong trail to get ready, it, right? Because that's a mistake, and that's correctable. But did they run down some trail to get ready? Yeah. But I interview a lot of people that that don't do anything. Yeah, I I ask, what do you know about United Technologies? And, and that is for the people that prepared for the interview. They will go out of their way to show, you know, I was researching this and I looked at that and there and the people that don't are, well, you know, it's, I, I understand it's an aerospace industry and, you know, my, my friend's cousin uh, used to work there and they said it was a nice place to work, you know, and it's very, very, it, it, I am very quickly able to diagnose whether this person is actually committed and interested in the role. And we'll we'll put in the time to uh, do the research and actually learn about it uh, prior to the interview. So I think that that's those are that's that's a topic that I hit on every single interview. The other thing is I stopped asking for the weakness because I get all sorts of um, canned kind of smoke and mirrors. They just want you know I work too hard or I have a hard time finding balance or something like that. And so instead. I will ask somebody, and this comes from a, a good book that I just finished reading. It's called The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results by Gary Keller. Um, and so instead I'll say to him, what's the one thing that's holding you back from reaching your full potential? What's one thing, the one thing that you need to work on that's holding you back from reaching your full potential? Which is so interesting that... You know, that's my question here. You say that you you go around and schedule one-on-ones with people to get feedback. I, for me, I feel like that's probably my one thing is the the being vulnerable like that to go to my almost you know to to my peers, go to 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 Chuck Alvarez here, to go to my team members and say, hey, I want you guys to give me some feedback on that because. Otherwise, I have a misperception of my own or my own perception of how I'm doing. But that's the question I use in my answering my own question. That's what I would say about myself today. Yeah, and, and the weakness question generally comes out as, for me, I, I'll ask a question. Tell me a significant accomplishment. Tell me about how you were able to do X, Y, and Z you know, at your former uh, position. And then, and then I'll say something like, "What did you struggle with personally, or or from a skill set perspective? What did you struggle with throughout, you know, your role uh, here? Or, or tell me one or two things you struggled with." And th that'll be another way where they can't really tell me, "Well, I work too hard," or, or something like that. Because if they tell me they work too hard, I'll push it further. I'll say, yeah. "Have you really? Is that really the only thing that you can think of that?" that maybe you need to work on and, I, and I'll kind of start to really press them on 
um, giving me something else um, in those situations. But All right, I think, so we'll finish it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, la the last thing that you said as far as asking for feedback, I struggled with that during my first year because I, w I felt I, I wasn't confident. And I, it was a confidence issue for me because I was, I'm, I'm very concerned about the perspective that other people have in my perception. And I was less apt to ask for feedback because I was worried about what they were going to say. And, and so over, over time, I've kind of gained, gained confidence in it and I've been able to, um, you know, be more comfortable with, with asking for feedback and then taking what people, what people say. All right, so last thing, because any, any, if you say, Joel, listen, I've, with the two kids at home, I've not been reading a lot of books, no problem. Yeah. I completely, any good books that you would recommend to somebody that's yeah. not on like the Cameron Brooks reading program that people are familiar with? Yeah. At least on the Cameron Brooks program. I don't know if it's on there or not. Um, Sink, Swim, or Float. It's a have, – have you heard of it, Joel? No, no. It's a high – it's a book on how to get the most out of your performance. And, and it sounds crazy. Uh, it sounds – I think that if I would have read it while I was still in the military, I would have been like, eh – that stuff's all a bunch of bunk, you know. I just need to get in there and work hard, you know. And and it's crazy to see. It's like 80% of CEOs, the first thing they do in the morning is they drink two large glasses of water. And it, it, it teaches you how to be a high performer both mentally with your body and exercise and then with your mind, right? So you have – I'll give you an example. You know, 60% – of your brain activity increases when you're walking around. So I'm walking, I'm walking back and forth right now. And so I started having walking meetings with some of my folks because there's, there's a lot more activity and, and things like that. Um, it's a really cool book to learn how to get the most out of your day. Uh, and, and it's, it's really fun because it'll keep you healthy and, and things like that. So I would recommend it. That's definitely right up my alley. Um, I said it was my last question, but you dove right into something that I was looking for. So once a Marine, always a Marine. Uh, Brad, are you still knocking out pull-ups and are you staying fit? And how do you balance that if you are with two kids at home, work, uh, you're doing great things, you're a manager in three years. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. They leave the military and one of the first things to fall off is like I'm physically taking care of myself. It's something that I'm struggling with. Uh, I... I have to I have to take time right now. I have a, a pretty lengthy commute because uh, we're moving um, with uh, with the new role that I took, and I think I spend over you know two hours in the car each day, and then I have the two kids, so it's very hard for me. I, I signed up for the Marine Corps Marathon and ran it uh, last October, so that really required me to have to train and work and 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 put the time in um, in the mornings or on the weekends or whatever else. So uh, I needed to have something out there to motivate me to do it um, because otherwise, you know, to your point, it's something that, that fell off for a while for me when I got out because I was so focused on on the work and on family life with, with the amount of uh, things that we uh, we were having to, to work through. So that's, that's what I did. But Brad, thank, uh, I want to thank you for being on here um, and uh, providing some great, great advice.
and uh, we'll make sure we put a link to the two books um, in the uh, the show notes slash blog that this gets posted to um, the book one thing that I talked about and then the and then I'm going to end up picking up a book of picking up your book sink swim or float um, as well and it's so interesting you talk to these two little kids I remember being in Washington D.C. and you telling me the story about you having to go ask your future father-in-law about permission to get married. And, and, <laughs> I can't believe uh, you remember that. Oh, absolutely. It was funny. <laughs> I, and uh, we don't have to go into it now. But So now I think I'm aging myself a little bit. Um, now you have a two-and-a-half and a one-and-a-half. One and, and back when I was getting to know you, you, you weren't even engaged. And uh, yep. the story of going home, taking her home to, to ask permission to get married. So... Thanks so much for being on here, taking your time to do this, sharing your lessons learned. You've been great. Um, and sometime when we're not recording for everybody else out there, I want to uh, to catch up with you. Yep, absolutely, Joel. Take care. Have a great day, Brad. I appreciate it again. All right, you too. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.